Hi there, this is Connor Gilbertson, Public Relations Coordinator with the Region 5 Prevention Resource Center and the Alcohol and Drug Abuse Council of Deep East Texas. I wanted to let you know before we get started that this is a podcast about substance use. Sometimes we are going to talk about stories or details that may be tough and uncomfortable to hear. Our overall goal is to help people be healthier and happier. With that being said, do what you need to take care of yourself. Feel free to pause and step away if you need to. This episode will be right here when you get back. The most important thing is that you take care of yourself. Thanks. Now let's grow. Today we are here with Judge Paul White. How are you doing today? As uh, always, if I'm uh, honest, and that is uh, better than I deserve. It's a great day. Glad to have you here. Good to be here, Connor. There's a lot of different facets, but I I suppose uh, I'll just start with um, becoming a judge. That was in 2001. I had practiced law for a little over 22 years as a, a civil trial lawyer, so I had nothing to do with at least I thought it had nothing to do with alcohol or substance use disorders. But once I became a judge, I realized even what I was dealing with had a fair amount of um, involvement with alcohol and substance use. But in any event, I became a judge in 2001. I had never been involved in criminal justice system and um, would not have remained for the next 21 or 22 years as a judge were it not for ADAC and those who are dedicated to rescuing citizens who suffer from alcohol and substance use disorder. Honestly, what I saw in my first couple of years on the bench, the futility of sending people to the penitentiary whose real underlying problem is alcohol or substance use is never going to resolve the problem. And so thankfully, I came across specialty courts in partnership with ADAC and other treatment facilities was able to fashion uh, a remedy other than just the revolving door of the penitentiary. Seeing that you've handled cases on both a state and federal level, seems like you've covered a very broad field, the uh, services you've provided over the years. But this one definitely seems to hit pretty close to home to you, just in regards of how much passion and drive you have for this community, this field that you know we all work in. Kind of going off of that, whenever you started getting into this work, did it begin with adolescents or adults? No, it was, um, I was, I'm a district judge, so that's felony cases, and uh, that would not be your adolescence, although kind of ironic, even though uh, we, we recognize 17-year-olds as adults, felony court, we have participants who are upwards of 30 years of age that they're still operating at an adolescent thought process and behavior because of their arrested development due to early use of alcohol and substances, so even though I it didn't begin with adolescence, technically I was dealing with adults who behave like adolescents because of the impact of drugs and alcohol. You had mentioned being in partnership with ADAC amongst many other services around the community. How long have you been in partnership with ADAC through drug court or alternative court? 2004. So it would be within my third year on the bench after I, I was appointed. And so ADAC was uh, already here doing great work, great reputation, and, did ha- and also had some uh, state funding that would be of great benefit for us. So from the very beginning, uh, partnered with ADAC. And honestly, would not have been able to uh, maintain a specialty court without ADAC resources here. A lot of people don't realize that what we've done in Angela County with not just one, but multiple specialty courts is not mandated by law. Now, it's recognized as very important in the law, but regrettably, it's only mandated for counties with a population of 200,000 or greater. And so that means all the resources go to the big counties. All of the efforts go to the big counties. And uh, thankfully, uh, we've been able to uh, provide it at a small county and in large part because of uh, 
ADAC's existence and its its good work. It definitely seems that, you know, in my in my time here, that the sense of community really has to be a thing around this area. Just because, like you said, nothing around here is extremely big in comparison to Houston, Dallas, Austin. But the amount of services that help each other out and that the community can kind of pull together to help those in need is just to see that stand up for one another, whether it's as an individual or, or as an organization, just to make sure that the community has a standpoint. Well, I don't think there's any question Angelina County is very unique in that regard. I think um, we respond well to crises and great needs. I think we would do well, though, in the future to not just deal with the crises and the emergencies, but really focus upon prevention. And that that's a decidedly different mindset, different approach. There's a science about it, but we need to follow the old saying, an, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And we really need to get to work on prevention sciences and prevention services so we don't have to uh, worry about the harsh consequences of curing something. On that, since you're fixing to retire, at least from the bench, how are you going to feed your addiction of saving people in the terms of you you're talking about prevention and prevention efforts? Uh, is that where your, your head is focused on trying to extend prevention methods or efforts here in Angelina County or anything along those lines? Sure. If, um, if circumstances permit me to remain in the community, and that's that's my uh, intention. But a lot of things get thrown in your path that you uh, it's a fork in the road, and you have to take one one way or the other. But my um, immediate plan is to serve as a senior judge, and that's where I I'm still able to sit on cases or sit on dockets. Uh, that's a group of cases by assignment and special needs. So I'll be involved with uh, specialty courts to some degree in that in that realm. But as I try to emphasize to everyone, Connor. Um, all we really need to do as a community is just find our one. If each of us would just find our one that we try to rescue and that we try to mentor, or that we try to sponsor or coach, whatever word you want to use, we each just find our one. And uh, even though we'd like to serve more than just one, if we just each find our one, it'd be amazing what type of impact we could have. And so I definitely have my eyes on some ones, and um, I'm always receptive to another and another. I'll be I'll be very much involved with uh, recovery. The real test of someone's support is not when it's when they get paid for it or when it's their job, but it's when uh, it's their passion, and that's what I tend to to continue to follow. And so, kind of bouncing off of that, we just had Recovery Awareness Month, right? And I brought in several people that shared their recovery stories on Give Get Grow, and that was their same message. At the end of every podcast interview that I had, it was if I could just help that one. That was probably the universal message of that month was the one because no, everyone knows you can't help everybody, but if your story gets through to just one person and makes that difference, it helps, it changes. And then that one person can go off and do the same thing. It's a positive butterfly effect in a way, but it just ripples and it keeps getting better because it's like, a, I guess, a snowball effect too. It's just one by one, that message and that effort continues to grow. Definitely along those lines of just finding that one. Have substance use issues ever affected you or your family personally? Well, uh, I think it would be probably unlikely there's not a one of us if we're really informed and maybe more so intellectually honest that. Uh, we would deny that it hadn't affected our family or us personally. Um, 
And so, yes, uh, yes, it has. There's, there's some family history, and candidly, um, not one that generally folks uh, really want to deal with. We enable by trying to cover up or deny. We enable by failing to get educated on how to the best way to deal with it. And um, there are a lot of different uh, substance use issues. It doesn't have to be illegal substances. Uh, in fact, I think our greatest problem with substance use disorder is those which are legal, whether legal or illegal, and um, get educated on how to best help rather than enable, and then be open about it. And you get a lot of resources people can share with you and help you learn how to, to manage. Kind of backtracking a little bit, but what are the main points or highlights that exist within the specialty courts with drug court as far as what does it all entail? I'm glad you asked that because so many people who who hear about drug court don't have a clue about the um, the level of supervision, the level of um, demands that are made upon citizens. Um, and so I want to explain that better. First of all, every participant in the specialty court or drug court has to have pled guilty to a felony offense. And so that's that's serious business. So they're given the option, and, and, and it's the option of treatment and high level of supervision rather than a felony conviction and penitentiary time. Now, the participants are not those, though, who have committed certain levels of offenses that are heinous that we have. We should have penitentiaries. Penitentiaries really ought to be reserved for those who are absolute public safety risk or whose crimes are so heinous that you meet out punishment. You know, the sanctity of life crimes, the abuse of, of children and women and elderly, um, you know, the the deaths. Those are why we have penitentiaries or those who continue to present risk of that. But probably two-thirds of our inmates in penitentiaries are really not public safety risks. They're just chronic offenders because of underlying alcohol or substance disorder. And those are the ones we're trying to rescue. Uh, if I send someone to the penitentiary with, with underlying alcohol or substance use disorder, there's a minimum 70% likelihood that they'll be back within three years of their release because we don't cure those problems. We don't deal with those problems. We just uh, delay them and, and they repeat themselves. So when you get into drug court, it's very un-American to some judges and to some lawyers because you give up constitutional rights of freedom to remain silent. You have to answer the judge's questions unless you want to go to revocation and go to prison. You give up your right to counsel. You're at drug court every Thursday night without a lawyer answering the questions. You give up the right to unreasonable search and seizures. You waive the right to have to have a search warrant to come to your house and see if you're drinking or drugging. You give up your right to due process, and that is advance notice of what the judge is going to ask you on Thursday nights. Those are at least four monumental American citizens' rights. But people give those up because that's what it takes to address the um, severity of addiction. You have to deal with uh, matters immediately rather than have the delay of hearings and lawyers and, and rights and all of that. So you give up all those rights. To be a participant, you call in six days a week every morning to see if you're going to be drug tested. And all of our participants are randomly drug tested multiple times a week. But they don't know which day it is, but they have to call in. They're required to participate in uh, counseling provided by ADAC as well as go to outside support groups. They have to be employed if they're able to be employed or in school. And then um, once a week, they come to court and they face the judge. My role is to meet with my team in advance to find out if they've been compliant, how they're doing, and deal with those who are non-compliant in 
lead out immediate consequences. Uh, all the studies show that um, it's not the certainty of a consequence, the severity of a consequence, but the immediacy of a consequence that has the most beneficial effect for behavioral modification. And so uh, I always start off with each participant, what's your sobriety date? And is that the truth? And if I know they've lied to me because um, I've got a drug test, there's immediacy of consequence, no delay. Uh, I get to meet out whatever we, we deem as appropriate as a team. Generally, it's immediate custody. But it is undeniably the most strict, severe supervision in the American justice system other than confinement. I've never met anybody in the community at large who would volunteer to do what we subject our participants to do. It's demeaning to some degree. Um, it's very challenging to some degree, but it, it uh, it's unprecedented in its success. Rather than send someone to the penitentiary with a 70% likelihood of reoffending within three years of release when we get graduates from drug court, uh, we only lose 27.5% to reoffend. So we get a 72.5% success rate rather than a 70% failure rate. And so that's why we do what we do. I invite people to come watch the docket every Thursday night. Sometimes a lot of drama. Sometimes it's nothing but celebration because people have done so well. But um, drug courts work and um, it's the right thing to do. That's been one of the things that's fascinated me. Like you said, you're giving up at least four monumental constitutional rights that you have as an American citizen. And a lot of the people at the end of the day are extremely thankful for that fact. The amount of people that I've come across and then especially last month with recovery month, the amount of people that have come through drug court that have come out to the other side that spoke to you as well as just spoke to those that were attending the event. We're so thankful for the opportunity, uh, as they would put it, to have gone through that because now looking at where they are, they're, they're a whole other person. It's really interesting. I suspect most of the people you've described, though, really weren't so thankful about it once they got into it. And one of the things we, we learn in all of our studies is you cannot predict the success rate of any participant based upon their desire to really participate. Everyone wants to participate rather than the penitentiary, but it doesn't take them long and doesn't take us long to figure out if they're really serious about it. But the goal and objective is if you can just keep them engaged in the program, and you customize uh, your modality of management for each person. If you get them to graduate, you get the same success rate, whether or not they really wanted it to begin with or not. And um, that's, that's the hard thing because sometimes we get kind of worn out with people that are pretty resistant and don't have a good attitude, but the numbers don't lie. Regardless of that attitude, if we can get them through and to graduate, we get the same outcome. And uh, that's what keeps us going, I suppose. I know you had mentioned those other programs besides ADAC. Would that include things such as uh, NAAA, things along those lines for programs? Yes. When we started specialty court, drug court in 2004, we did have a very, very well-respected AA group here on Diana Street. Great history, great heritage, and good folks. Uh, I'm not sure if NA was around. It might have been fairly new. One thing we had an absence, though, was uh, faith-based support groups. And uh, thankfully, with the advent of drug court and then our partnership and with ADAC announcing the need for support groups, we, we've had many, many churches and communities of faith have faith-based support groups. They're known as Celebrate Recovery or uh, Most Excellent Way and some other, some other names, but they've really grown over the years and there's very few communities in the county that don't have support groups and they are invaluable. I think it's, it's, it's very much like um, anything. If you don't surround yourself around those of the same mindset that's healthy, you will relapse into your own thinking and um, 
generally that's not good for those with a substance use disorder. Isolation is never healthy. That was another strong message that a lot of people that I had talked to over the course of September was just whether it was, you know, like you said, something that they volunteered for or not, being around that group, whether it be faith-based or not, just having a group of people around you that may not, of course, share the same story as you, but at some point might have walked along the same path to where you either have advice or you can be that one to give advice. But at the end of the day, a lot of the stigma or the anxiety of what someone else might think drops at the door because you're you're coming into a room where a lot of the people in that room have come from a similar sort of walk to where you're not worried about what the person to the left or right of you is going to think more so either how are they going to help me or how can I help them? Just that community feel that just kind of brings everything home. I've never found a, uh, a graduate of specialty court who relapsed and and reoffended who told me that they had been continuing to go to their support groups. Never found one yet. I've never found one yet that told me that they continued in a consistent relationship, that is, regularly speak with their uh, mentor or sponsor. And then finally, I've never uh, had a one who relapsed who acknowledged that they were helping somebody else. Those three things, you know, are you helping somebody else? Are you staying connected to those who are your support? And are you going to those support groups? Never found one yet who's done those three things. And so um, that's what we're trying to, to accomplish is let that become a new lifestyle, a new identity for all of our participants. And when, we, when we're successful in doing that, they remain not in just sobriety, which is not drinking or drugging, but they, they remain in sober living. And that's a lot higher standard of life. It's always a good they have people make inquiry about um, specialty courts in particular and recovery in, in general. It'll always be, I suppose, part of my identity. And uh, I look forward to the next stage of seeing how that, that plays out with my wands, yes, wh- wherever that might be. And I know we said it at Recovery Day at the park, but we can't say it enough. ADAC thanks you for everything you've done. And the next person to fill your shoes is going to have quite the legacy to live up to because you've you've left a large one here in this community. And I think we can safely say that it would not be the same without you. Confirm that or not, it's really irrelevant. I, I, truly, I truly believe that the best is always yet to come because of the quality of people and quality of um, judiciary that we've always had in Anderson County. So uh, I look forward to observing that and supporting it in every way possible. If you or someone you know needs help with a substance use issue or concern, or if you just want more information, you can call the Alcohol and Drug Abuse Council of Deep East Texas 24-7 at 1-800-445-8562. Give, Get, Grow is a production by the Alcohol and Drug Abuse Council of Deep East Texas and the Region 5 Prevention Resource Center. We serve Angelina, Hardin, Houston, Jasper, Jefferson, Nacogdoches, Newton, Orange, Polk, Sabine, San Augustine, San Jacinto, Shelby, Trinity, and Tyler Counties where we offer prevention, intervention, and treatment programs and services. The Prevention Resource Center has a ton of information about the region available for free as a part of its mission. For more information, visit adacdet.org prc5. That's A-D-A-C. 
det.org slash PRC5. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with our latest episodes. Follow ADAC on Facebook at ADACDET and on Instagram at ADAC underscore DET. Thank you for joining us. Be safe and take care of yourself. We'll see you next time here on Give, Get, Grow.